I had uh, an unusual, uh, sometimes unusual, uh, circumstance this week. I prepared my message, and then uh, after I had it ready, I went to the Sunday school lesson, and it was the same text. <laughs> so um, some of you are getting this twice, but uh, I hopefully will approach it from a, a little different perspective than what we did in the Sunday school lesson. The title of the message is Fear or Faith, and it's kind of an extension of what we did last week about believe. And we are looking at saying whether or not we should choose fear or whether we should choose faith. Now, in our, in our brain and in our present moment, we would say, well, of course, I'm going to choose faith. Well, you know, sometimes in our lives, when things really get anxious and things really get tough, we don't choose faith. <laughs> we start choosing fear. We start thinking about all the things that are going to go wrong, all the things that could happen, all the things that have happened, the negative things. And this one quote or one statistic that I came across was that for every negative thing we tell ourselves, um, we need to tell ourselves 100 or 120 positive things to just kind of outweigh it. And when God is telling us, think on the things that are lovely, that are pure, of a good report, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. Because God wants us to look at things and look for the good in them, not look for the bad in them. If you listen to the news, <laughs> read the newspaper, we can see all the bad things that have happened in the world, and it's just somehow we are attracted to the negative. Somehow we are attracted to the fear. And that fear-based living is not very, very good. You know, these are the things that are going to happen if this decision is made or that decision is made. If you go here, you go there. Well, you know, if you do that, you know what's going to happen, don't you? And all these types of things that are based on fear. Now, fear, uh, the definition, according to Webster, is uh, fear with uh, uh, being afraid is filled with fear or apprehension. Uh, you know, we're kind of backing off from it filled with concern or regret over an unwanted situation. I don't like this in my life. I didn't, I didn't want this in my life. I did not choose this in my life. So therefore, it's going to turn out bad. Um, <laughs> having a dislike for something. You know, I don't want to eat that. You ever try to eat something different? Oh, no, I'm afraid I won't like it. Any of those around? <laughs> How about, I always think of... Um, well, I won't go there. Well, you know, uh, some, people, some people very much section out their food, you know, that you got to have this, and then you have this, and then you have this, and don't let them touch or intermingle, because if you have a fear that if something happens, you know, or if I cook it and it's not me, I don't like, you know, I, I usually never eat pork out, because my mother always said, you know, you can get sick with pork, <laughs> okay? So my mom always said that, so I... I, I probably have only eaten pork in a restaurant maybe once or twice because of that. And every time I look at pork, I really don't like, think I'll like that. <laughs> because my mom would always cook it a certain way, and, and if it wasn't done right, you know, you could get sick from it. So, Okay, so the definition of faith is an allegiance to duty or person, a loyalty. So whenever we're choosing fear or faith, really our faith is choosing our allegiance. We are a Christian. 
We are aligned with Christ. We listen to his word. We are moved by his spirit. So whenever we are choosing, we are choosing based upon an allegiance. We are following Christ. We are following our leader. And God says all things will work together for good to those who love him, to those who understand their call to follow him. So we have an allegiance, just like we were following a political party or following a, uh, a general or following in a soldier. We have an allegiance to Christ. So that's considered faith. Fidelity to a promise, that we recognize the importance of a promise that God has placed in our heart. Uh, belief and trust in and loyalty to God. A firm belief in something which there is no proof. <laughs> a, an allegiance and a belief that something good is going to happen in my life, but yet there is no proof of it. So are we going to choose fear or faith? You see, where there is no proof, I think that's where fear has its greatest seeds <laughs> where it kind of blooms into something that is out of proportion because 98% of the things we fear don't happen. <laughs> so that's, that's really, we, you would think that we would understand being afraid of trying something new, uh, going somewhere different, you know, having, you know, we realize that there are, people can make different foods that, than what we've been, what we've grown up on, you know. Well, something that is believed especially with a strong conviction. So whenever we're looking at choosing between fear and faith, we are looking at how that there is a difference between a positive and a negative, that there is a difference between what is and what will be, that there is a first and there is a last, that God knows the end from the beginning, that what has happened in our life is not a surprise to God. So, Upon that foundation and upon that understanding, we choose faith. It isn't like we flip a coin. Well, what's it going to be today? Heads I believe and tails I don't. <laughs> you know? So we're not flipping a coin. We're making a choice. So we have this in Luke chapter 8, verse 40, is where we're, we're looking at. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 40. So... We look at this scripture, and the scripture today is, on his return, Jesus was welcomed by a crowd. They were all expecting him. So Jesus has the subsequent events of this chapter, chapter 8, is uh, ones in which Jesus was teaching about the seed and the sower, and, you know, the good soil, the bad soil. One of the things I, I, I take from that, um, from that um, discourse that Jesus spoke of that the good seed will bring a hundred times more than what was sown. I like that. <laughs> you know, that whenever the good seed falls on good ground, the seed is all the same. It's the soil that it ends up in. The seed is the word of God. And when the word of God ends up in our hearts, it's going to do something. It's either going to lay there and do nothing and be eaten by the crows, or it's going to be good soil in which it produces a hundredfold of what was put in there. So we're looking at this and expecting the good seed. And then, of course, we have Jesus getting in the boat, crossing the sea, and he's sleeping, and the guys, they're going to, get, they're going to drown in this sea of storms. And they wake Jesus, and he calms them, and they wonder, what kind of a man is this? 
you know. Then they cross the sea and they get to the wild man of the tombs in which he, Jesus uh, casts out the, 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 the demons that occupy him and they go into the pigs and run into the sea. And then we next, Jesus comes here to this, this um, verse here in chapter, chapter 8, verse 40. So whenever we look at this, Jesus had been traveling around and um, he's been going to these, you know, these towns that are around uh, the Sea of Galilee are very plenteous. They're like little communities. And I mentioned this morning, it'd be like Johnstown, you know, going to Upper Yoder, Lower Yoder, Westmont, Westwood, um, Westmont. What's the one by uh, West? You know, he got all these things, all these little towns. Well, what are they? They're just little boroughs. How do you know where they come? Or how do you know where one begins and the other ends? Well, it's on this street. Well, I think the villages around the Sea of Galilee were a lot like that. Uh, that and, of course, the, the word just spread rapidly through the, through the villages, anything that Jesus was doing. And so whenever he returned, they, the people were all excited. You know, here he comes. He's going to do something. Let's all get together and see the miracle. Well, Jairus... <laughs> Jairus comes to Jesus, breaks through the crowd, and he's president of a synagogue, and that he falls at the feet of Jesus, and he's begging him. He fell at his feet and begged Jesus. He begged him to come to his home and heal his daughter, who was 12 years of age. One of the interesting things of this, of this text, it's the only time that two miracles are kind of intertwined. You know, we have, we have the woman... Uh, the, the child here is 12 years, 12 years old, and she has this sickness that is, she's dying from. And Jesus went with him, making his way through the pushing, jostling crowd. Now, this was, I think, this is one of the first sermons I ever, pro, I ever spoke on, the first sermon I ever preached. And how that uh, the, both Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood who is coming here, that uh, they had to push through the crowd. And I remember pushing through the crowd of doubts. <laughs> there are all these things that would keep us from our answer. Our answer is in Christ and in his word. And so there's a crowd of fear, a crowd of circumstances that we have to somehow get ourselves through in order to reach, be there where Jesus wants us to be. Well, as he is pushing through, in the crowd that day there was a woman who for... 12 years, <laughs> had been afflicted with hemorrhages. You notice that both the 12 years, you know, 12 years, it's just like, is that a coincidence? <laughs> is it just a coincidence that this 12-year-old is, is facing death through a sickness, and here's a woman who has been sick for 12 years with hemorrhaging. Now, this woman had spent everything she had on getting well, and, and there was, you know, the doctors and all that at that time were, not really um, capable of finding out exactly what was going on with her. But 12 years she has been waiting. 12 years she has been ill. And this, and what was in, in, in the Levitical system, in the law, in the, in, in the law that was written, she was not permitted to be in a crowd. She was unclean. Not only was she not permitted to be in a crowd, she was not permitted to be in town. She was ostracized to a place of uncleanness because of her menstrual cycle, but not only that, but she was in a constant state of hemorrhaging, so she was in a constant 
state of being removed from her community and from her family. So she spent everything she had trying to get well. She did everything she could in order to make herself better. But what she did was she slipped in from behind and touched the edge of Jesus' robe. This morning in uh, Sunday school, it brought out how that probably she was on her hands and knees, crawling through the crowd. More than likely, she's on her hands and knees, crawling through the crowd, and Jesus was wearing a, as it were, a shawl, and at the bottom of the shawl, there are two tassels on both sides, and she was reaching through you know, crawling through the crowd and all the feet of people stomping on her. And it's like, let's see that person down there, you know. And she's just crawling through the crowd because if she had been standing, the people knew who she was and they would have pushed her out of the crowd and told her to get back where she belongs because she was making everybody that she touched unclean. And at the very moment, she slipped in and touched the edge of his robe. At that very moment, her hemorrhaging stopped. Her belief was, if I can get to Jesus, everything will be all right. Jairus, his belief was, if Jesus can get to my daughter, everything will be all right. Sometimes in our minds, we have things set up. If God can just do this this way, everything will be all right. And it doesn't happen. Jesus... (laughs) He said, who touched me? Now, this is, this is very important because everybody's touching him. I mean, you know, the disciples are trying to run interference and keep a, people, you know, it's like the Secret Service and the president, you know, or some dignitary trying to keep everybody at arm's distance and watching for the, the, the wrong person in the crowd. Well, the disciples are watching for the wrong person in the crowd, and here someone slips underneath them. And Jesus said, who touched me? Because Jesus knew when virtue flew, flow from him. It's not an accident whenever you're kneeling at the altar or praying or you just have that moment in which you kind of feel the presence of God, in which you feel just something different in your heart. That's God. That's the virtue, as it were, flowing from Christ to you. And that virtue, who touched me, that is our moment of touching God. And God is with us all the time. It's just that some moments are more special than others. Some moments are just like this pausing in two eternities. And right at that moment, I sense God's presence. That's what happened here. She was healed. (laughs) When no one stepped forward, Peter always has an answer. Jesus, (laughs) there's a crowd of people. Dozens of hands are touching you, and that's not what Jesus was talking about. Everybody was trying to touch him, but one in her faith made a statement that no matter what gets in my way, I have to touch him because he's my only hope. Jesus insisted that someone touched me. I felt the power discharged from me. He felt the virtue flow from him. When the woman realized that she couldn't remain hidden, she knelt trembling before him. I think of it in the sense that she's on her hands and knees trying to back into the crowd and everybody's kind of backing out of the way. There's this woman, I bet it was her, and they, the crowd, think that Jesus is going to punish her for breaking the law. 
but the very thing that Jesus was wearing represented the law, and she touched it, and she was healed. So the very thing that should have kept her at a safe distance from everybody else is the very thing she touched, and God healed her. And her trembling is that she thought that she was going to be reprimanded. (laughs) And what happened? She knelt trembling before him in front of all the people. She blurted out her story. I've been sick for 12 years. I've been outside of the city. I've I've been away from my family. I've been away from my community. I've been away from my friends. And somehow at the moment that she was there, that I touched him, I'm healed. And Jesus said, daughter, and this is, uh, as I mentioned in Sunday school, daughter, this is the only time that this is used in the New Testament. Jesus calls her daughter. And whenever we are children of God, we are sons and daughters of God. We are his children. You took a risk. This is verse 48. You took a risk trusting me, and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed. So what happens is Jesus not only heals her physically, he heals her emotionally and heals her position in society. She is now well. Because if he had simply walked away from that situation and she would say that she was well, she still had seven days to prove to, prove to everybody else that she was clean. And then she would have to go to the high priest and the priest would have to say she's clean. And, and after all of that, but Jesus did it immediately. He healed her, she was restored, and, and she was well, emotionally, physically, and socially. But along the way, he kept getting stopped. Well, what about Jairus? His daughter's dying, and Jesus kept, keeps stopping. <laughs> One interruption after another. Finally, word got back to Jairus that his daughter had died. Jesus, overhearing said, don't be upset, just trust me, and everything will be all right. The King James Version has it, do not be afraid, only believe. Choose fear or faith. You see, Jairus had a choice. He had to make a decision about what he was going to do because in his mind, he knew that if Jesus got there in time, his daughter would be well. But Jesus kept getting interrupted. He couldn't get there because of all the people and this woman and and everybody else. She's been sick 12 years, but my daughter is only 12 years old and she needs to be well. And Jesus tells Jairus, fear or faith? He says, only believe. Only means singular. Don't allow fear and faith to try and occupy the same spot. They can't. (laughs) You can't be afraid of what's going to happen and believe what's going to happen. One will cancel the other. And if we live in fear, we're, we're saying that God's word is not strong enough or my faith is not great enough to be able to move to a positive conclusion to this. So Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. Now, when you pray for something, <laughs> you pray about something, you pray for direction, you pray that God would, we have this fear, that comes in, it's not going to happen. 
you know, you're, you don't have the, enough of this, you're not in the right spot, you know, you don't, you don't deserve that if some, this happens, it's going to be disastrous for you. And, and all those, that's the fears that come in by our, and, and, you, know, and it's, you know, we need to look at life. I mean, you know, you've got to count the cost. You, you just can't be, yeah, I'm going to have faith and I'm going to go head over heels and charge this and I'm using one card to pay another card and I've got to get this and God will do No, that's not, that's, not, that's not good living. And so it's not having faith that you, because you're just creating a greater debt. Well, sometimes we do that with life, that we tell one story to cover up a story that's not working. You know, why? Out of fear that we'll be caught or found out. We don't have fear. Fear does not belong in our life. Faith does. Belief does. Belief, you know, you can't go rob a bank and believe that you're not going to get caught. You know, you can't do that. That's not what it's about. Your, our belief is that God is going to be my provision and God is going to see me through this. So Jairus had to believe what Jesus said. She will be made well. He, she's dead, but Jesus says only, only think of this, focus on belief, and what is your belief? That she will be made well. Only, only Made well. <laughs> Believe. <laughs> Believe one thing. She will be made well. So in our lives, we are aware of what has happened, but we believe one thing. God is in charge. This didn't work out. Believe one thing. God will work it out. God is working in my life. He is working through my life. His word will come into my life. Believe one thing. Only believe Believe one thing, God is in charge. God's promise is there. So, going into the house, he wouldn't let anyone enter. Peter, James, and John, and the child's parents. That's it. What's this story telling us? You don't let doubters fill your house, fill your mind with what's not going to work. <laughs> it's all right. We know she's, she's dead Jesus isn't upset about her being dead. He's upset about the people trying to convince him that he can't do this. Takes Peter, James, and John and the, and the parents. Everyone was crying and carrying on over her. Jesus said, don't cry, she's only asleep. <laughs> now here is belief that says that life, death, death is something to be awakened from. When someone dies, their spirit, everything that is life in them goes to heaven. The body is here, but God is saying, don't worry, it'll come to life again because the spirit is going to be united with the body. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Because he is the first fruits of them that slept. <laughs> he is the example. Because he lives, we shall live also. So, <laughs> the parents... Uh, oh, they, they laughed at him. Imagine the frustration. <laughs> uh, then Jesus, gripping her hand, cried, My dear child, get up. That's it. Jesus said, Get up. Everything that was life in her, someplace else, in the spirit realm, came back to her body, and she was alive, and she sat up. And her parents were ecstatic, and Jesus said, Keep quiet. Don't let a soul... Tell a soul what happened in this room. You see, <laughs> I always wonder about that little statement because 
I think there must have been other things going on, something that happened in the room, I don't know. But everybody knows what happened. She's risen from the dead. So I, I don't know what happened in that meantime. But you know what happens in our lives is that God is there in our presence and God is there and he gives us this assurance in our hearts and things are there because we choose to believe. So if we're facing situations that are impossible, in the natural we don't see how that they're going to get any better, you know, and, and adding things up in our mind, uh, we can't see how we're going to overcome them and how it's going to work out, but you see, <laughs> believe. Believe one thing. God will work in your life. Now we're aware of this. I have a very real problem. I have a very real God. I know that these things are the way you add them up. This is how it happens. But you know, whenever I put my faith in perspective, it comes, toge comes together. God is saying to you that what he said to them, don't be afraid, believe. Don't allow fear to operate in your life. Now in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. They have been thrown in prison for preaching. They have been beaten with rods and thrown into the inner chambers. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang songs. You see, in the midst of the trial, we have Paul and Silas singing. <laughs> in the midst of the prison, this is the reality. This is the reality that they are in prison wrongfully. They've been beaten with rods. It's called caning today. They were beaten with rods and they were chained up in prison. And while they're in prison, they're singing <laughs> psalms. They are, they are encouraging themselves in the Lord. They are believing that God is with them. Now, they're not praying, God, get us out of here. They are praising God for where they're at. <laughs> now, Jairus, Jairus, he wanted Jesus to come. The woman went to Jesus, touched him. Paul and Silas are content, and they're not content, but they are in the midst of this prison, and they're singing to God. You see, God works in many different ways. He doesn't do the same thing twice. He doesn't have to. So God can perform a miracle in our lives one way, but he may do it another way at another time. He's continually working in our lives because the different changes and the different ways he works in our life is to grow us up in our spiritual life. So Paul and Silas are singing praises, and what happens? The earthquake comes. The earthquake comes, the chains fall off, the prison doors are open, and, you know, everybody in prison has heard these guys singing, and now the earthquake and everybody's free, and the um, keeper of the prison He's going to kill himself because everybody's gotten out. Of course, they'd run away when the prison doors are open and he's going to be killed by the Romans, so he might as well kill himself first. And they said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the, and the one thing, verse uh, 31, and they said, believe, you know, verse 31 is, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One, only believe, believe one, believe singularly, confess your sins, and he forgives you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved from your sin, but also your household. Well, you see how the doubts would come in and fears would come in and say, well, you don't know my household. <laughs> you know, you don't know who my family is. 
That's the fear that says it's not going to happen to them. But you see, you put the fear aside and believe that God has made us a promise. Not only is it to my life, but it's to, it's to my family. And then the la- lastly is Hebrews chapter 11. It's, it's important that we look at this in, in understanding what faith is. You know, in, in the King James it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Belief is something that has no hope or no sense of what's going to happen. It's just that there's no, no logical reason that this would follow. But belief says that there is substance of things hoped for. There is a belief that things that don't exist can come into existence. <laughs> if you read Genesis... God spoke the world into existence. That which appeared did not come from somewhere. It just came because he spoke it into existence. In our life, we are believing, only believe, believe singularly that God is at work in our lives. And that the fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. My singular belief is the foundation that I build my life on. Jesus Christ is a solid rock. <laughs> and that he goes through the scriptures here with faith um, is what set the ancestors apart. By faith, uh, Abel brought a better sacrifice. He, bought a, he brought a better sacrifice in that he believed. It wasn't that the animal was better than his brother's offering of grain. It was that Abel believed, trusted in, (laughs) believed in. It is impossible, and I close with this. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. We must believe that God exists and he cares enough to respond. Jairus, Jairus, I always call him Jairus, Jairus, he believed that if he could get to Jesus, Jesus would respond. The woman with the issue of blood, she believed that if she could touch him, he would respond. The Paul and Silas, they are in prison. They're praising God, but they believe that God is going to respond to their praise. And he did. Our challenge is fear or faith. Will I, will I allow the natural thinking of fear to dictate how I'm going to live my life Or will I choose to believe that God is going to help me through every obstacle in my life? It would seem that it would be the obvious choice. We're going down the road and there's a fork in the road. One side says fear. One side says says belief. And we would naturally say believe. But in the crises, when nothing seems to be working, fear wants to take hold. And we have to say no. Not going there. There is one thing that I believe. God exists. And he exists. And and he cares for me. He wants to approach. 
because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares. He cares enough to respond to those who seek him. And whenever we are seeking him, because he delays in coming, doesn't mean that he doesn't want to heal, in this case, Jairus' daughter. Doesn't mean he wants to heal his daughter. It means that he has a greater miracle in place. (laughs) He's going to bring her back to life. (laughs) And what God does in our life, he may delay, but that's not a bad thing because what he has in mind is greater than what we have planned. Shall we stand? (laughs) So, choose the road, the road of belief. One thing I believe, only believe one thing I believe. God exists and that he cares enough to respond to me. God is, and he will respond to me, to my prayers, because I am pushing through my doubts, (laughs) and I, I know that if I touch him spiritually, his virtue will flow into my life. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers, helping us through our difficulties, seeing us through the the times of our life and God, we just pray for your word to speak to our hearts and give us that sense of direction and sense of destiny as it is in your presence to take us from where we are to where you want us to be. And God, your response to us is to believe singularly, to have faith in your word that you exist and that you exist to respond to my need. And then I, of course, respond in praise. Amen? Amen. God bless you.